Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. So nice to get up so early. Our first guest, Frank Pomerico, was a team captain, member of the 19, um, sorry, 1973 National Championship team. I wrote down 66 like I was talking to Rocky Blyer, so I had to catch myself. He's also been a high, <laughs> high school coach, athletic director, and, of course, author of the very popular Notre Dame book, Eras and Nights, and that would be Frank Pomerico with his two dogs. Good morning. Good morning, Tim. Great to be with you. What's the dog's names again? Patty and Bo. Patty and Bo. All right. Bo, we were talking. A, What's that? Poodle and son is Patty. Okay. So you sometimes see me walking around Notre Dame with them. I walk there every day with the dogs. Are they Notre Dame fans? Oh, yeah. Big time. <laughs> <laughs> it better be at this point. Hey, before we were going on the air, you were, we were talking about what I might be asking and everything, and I said might be some hard questions. Here's our breakfast show questions, okay? Scrambled or over easy for your eggs, Frank? I like them scrambled. Sausage links or bacon? I like sausage links. Hash browns or American fried potatoes? I like uh, hash browns. Biscuits and gravy or corned beef hash? Ooh, corned beef hash. Yeah, there All we right. go. All right. Donut or bagel with cream cheese? Uh, what was the first thing? Donut. Or a bagel oh, with cream cheese. I'll go, I'll go with the bagel. I'll go with the bagel with the cream cheese. All right. Thank you, Frank, for joining us today. We'll see you next week. <laughs> I can eat now. <laughs> well, you ace you you ace that. So let's you know what? Let's start with current day, and then we'll go backwards if you don't mind. We'll do something a little nope. different. Um, I read a recent article that you were talking about um, uh, Marcus, and um, all of our players have been telling us how he's embraced the alumni you know, more so than any other coach has. So what do you what do you think of that, about going out to all the former players and a lot more than you've been asked for in the past? Well, I think he, first of all, he's a very charming, uh, engaging guy. Uh, he's somebody that I think can embrace the spirit of what Notre Dame's supposed to be all about, about making a difference in other people's lives. And as far as recruiting is concerned, I think that's what parents see. They see somebody that's going to take care of their their son, and that's real important when you're in this uh, uh, environment of uh, college recruiting. I mean, it's right. uh, it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty vicious world, really. I mean, everybody's smiling and shaking hands and slapping backs, but there's a lot of uh, nastiness going on on the uh, other side. So right. I think to find somebody that's genuine like Marcus, it's a good thing. He has embraced the uh, alumni. He's made us feel like we're part of the program, which a lot of other coaches in the past has has not done. So I think in this world of uh, high tech, uh, it's it's nice to have somebody that you can touch as far as shaking hands and looking him in the eye and and seeing what kind of person he is. This might be a tough question. Maybe it's an unfair question. Why wouldn't other coaches solicit the involvement of past football players i mean it makes it so relevant that you walk the walk and talk the talk and you can you know give these kids something whether it's 
just about football or going out of Notre Dame and the importance of having that degree? Well, I think sometimes uh, coaches have a tendency to want to rally the troops around them in regards to this is our area and nobody else is supposed to come. We don't want to have any kind of input from the past. Uh, We want to just build from within as as opposed to, uh, oh, this is what we did when Arrow was here. This is what we did when Frank Leahy was here. So a lot of times they just want to build their own program and not get any input. I don't know if that's the best thing. There are certain things that you'd like to embrace from the past and add to the tradition that you're you're developing yourself. So uh, I I don't know why in in the most part, except that it, it gets to be this is a this is my area. Right. I don't want any other involvement. You know, I've always said it's like people when they buy a restaurant, a successful restaurant. I do not understand the idea that they all of a sudden got to change the name, change the menu, increase the size. It was popular the way it, why, the way it was, right? I mean, you don't want to change a good thing, but some people just got to put their stamp on it, and they don't want any outsiders, you know, telling them what to do. We're with Frank Pomerico on the Legacy Heating Air Game Day show on 960 WSBT. Let's, let's continue that. You were talking about his recruiting and stuff. I think you know uh, a player or two or the parents of current players What's the, what do they have comments about, you know, once they've been recruited, do the parents have uh, other interactions with coach? Yes. They, they really enjoy dealing with Marcus Freeman. Like I said, he gives them a sense of security, a sense that they're going to take care of. He's going to take care of their, their son. And I had a son that uh, played football at the university of Michigan. Actually, he wanted to come to Notre Dame, but really didn't get a sniff. So then uh, Lloyd Carr uh, knew me and uh, offered Tom an opportunity there. And he, he was a letterman for three years. And, and I felt very secure about Tom going to Michigan because I know Lloyd was a very solid, decent guy, wasn't going to do anything crazy, and make sure that Tom got his degree, which I was most, uh, most aware of and wanting to happen, Tom getting his degree, and he did. So uh, it, it was a good move for Tom. Well, that's good. I'm sure it was a little disappointing being a former – uh, Notre Dame team captain and player that you wanted him to go to Notre Dame, but it just didn't work out. Well, I did, you know, in, in some ways that's true. And it's kind of odd being dressed in Michigan uh, <laughs> in, at the Notre Dame stadium. But the thing that was important to me is that Tom had his own legacy. Now he wasn't living in the shadow of his dad. And it was something that uh, he excelled in. I mean, he was their long snapper, never made a bad snap, uh, did very well academically and uh, we're, we're very proud of what he's done. He's gone on and go, got his master's degree. He's an artist. He got oh, his master's degree okay. from uh, uh, Montana State, and mm-hmm. he's still out there uh, after doing very well in his master's degree. So we're excited for Tom's future. And Lloyd Carr, always heard, was a pretty classy guy for coach. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that he asked Tom, the first thing we met was he said, what book are you reading? which I thought was very interesting. And Tom had a book that he was reading and told him about it. And uh, I asked Lloyd, what book are you reading? And Mm -hmm. and he told me A Man in Full, which was by a guy named Cahill, which I had read myself. (laughs) We had a nice discussion about it. But I thought that was kind of an odd odd question uh, for a football coach. Instead of how much do you bench or how fast are you, he said, uh, what book are you reading? I thought that was pretty good. It's kind of like those wonderlick tests that they ask all the recruit, all the guys that are trying out down there and stuff. 
So as we kind of matriculate back into uh, your career at Notre Dame, what similarities do you see with um, with Marcus and Era? What are the similarities I yes. see? Yes, yes. Uh, okay. The, the similarities I see uh, are this, is that he cares about his players. Uh, he's uh, a, a very meticulous coach as far as uh, preparing the, the uh, players. Uh, I, I think when you're in a situation uh, as an athlete, you know, times have changed a little bit since I was there. I mean, it's almost it's 50 years ago since I was a, a junior there. Where did the time but, go? Oh, oh, my God, it's flying. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think there's other obstacles that kids have to have to come overcome uh, besides the, the fact that, uh, you know, they're trying to play and they're trying to get their degree. Uh, I think the media and also uh, the actions of the NCA has made it a very different world. So kids are benefiting from it, but also I think it's making it tougher. Uh, it was simpler back in uh, 50 years ago. Uh, I don't want to say it was easier, but it was simpler uh, in regards to you didn't have other distractions. But but Era was, a, you know, he was a guy that he really wasn't your friend. He was more of a mentor or a father figure. And you wanted to learn from him because you knew he was such a classy guy. Uh, it was kind of like spending time around him. You wanted to spend as much as possible. It was almost like trying to hold water in your hand. You know how it drips out? <laughs> yeah, it? yeah. Well, that's the way it was around Coach Barsegian because you, he just oozed uh, character and integrity and confidence. And these are the things that I think Marcus has, too. Uh, it's just a matter of, of getting some experience for him. One of the things that Aris said when he took the job at Notre Dame is that he had 14 years of coaching experience before he got the job. And he needed every one of them. Uh, to to handle the Notre Dame situation. And, you know, I, I'm not saying that, that Marcus shouldn't have took the job. I mean, if somebody's going to uh, give you the Notre Dame job or hire you as a Notre Dame coach, you're going to take it and try right. to do as best you can. But I think it's, it's a tough thing to do uh, going to college football without experience as a head coach, much less go to Notre Dame. I mean, there's tremendous pressures at Notre Dame. And we wish Marcus the best. I mean, he's got a, a, a big order here. And uh, to come out on top, it's going to take a lot of work. It sure does. We're with uh, Frank Pomerico, fighting Irish offensive lineman and author of the Era's Knights. Uh, they've also had some similar histories, haven't they? Like getting, uh, being a head coach at a young age, both coming out of Ohio. Both of them tried the NFL and their career ended early because of injuries. I think I read all that. Hey. Am I pretty much on the, online with that? Yes, pretty much. Arab was with the Browns, uh, hurt his hip. Uh, I think he only played a year or so and then came back to Miami of Ohio, was a freshman coach. And then when Woody Hayes went to Ohio State, he became the head coach, I think, at 26 or 27 years wow. old. That's pretty young. Yeah, it is. Uh, although Arab was not your average person. I mean, he was a very mature guy at a young age. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the valuable things that Arab did was in building his staff, he built people with experience. And I, I see that with Marcus too, with Al Golden and uh, Harry on offense. You know, he, he has people that have experience. And if he gets stumped, there's people he can go to. And Era had similar situations where he uh, could lean on some of his assistants as far as 
getting information and making an educated decision. And that's a, that's a key thing. Arrow would pull all his assistants when he was at Notre Dame. I mean, he knew what he wanted to do, but maybe there was something that the assistants were going to bring out that made a difference. And uh, he would make sure he got input from everybody before making a decision. And boy, did he have some assistants. Pagna, Joe Yantil, George Kelly, Brian Bulak, uh, Jim Stock, right? Oh, yeah. Mike Stock. Yeah. Mike Stock, sorry. Jim, Jim was his brother who was a player and teammate of mine. But uh, yeah, Eric, Eric did have. Uh, and the, the interesting thing, the core of his staff didn't leave. They were there for the, the duration of his tenure at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. George Kelly was one of them that stayed. Paul Schultz uh, on defense, Joe Yanto. The, all these fellas stayed uh, with people like Wally Moore uh, and Brian Bulak uh, and Tom Pagna in particular, and Mike Stock. And Mike Stock actually played for him at Northwestern. I remember that. And then came to Notre Dame as a freshman coach and then uh, followed up as a receiver coach. I often talk to Mike. Uh, I, I talked to him as, as one of the apostles of Arab Parsegian, which is <laughs> kind of an interesting thing because he knew exactly what was going on in those staff meetings. And it's valuable information. I'm sure he could write a book on the things that Arab did and his principles and uh, the reason why he was so successful. Frank Pomerico, let's go back into your time at, at Notre Dame a little bit. Is, is Tommy Clements one of the most underrated quarterbacks? I don't think he gets enough because he didn't throw for a lot of yardage, gets, a, gets enough praise. Well, one of the things about Tom that was so interesting is uh, Tom was never worried about statistics. He was worried about winning. You know, I, it's, it's kind of interesting because we played together up in Canada. I played up there for four years. He played up there for 12. Right. And he's in their, uh, their uh, CFL Hall of Fame. He threw for an enormous amount of yardage, some close to 40,000 yards. And he also was MVP a couple of times, won two Grey Cups. People don't know that. But Tommy Clements was really era on the field. Mm -hmm. He was somebody who had the capabilities mentally, uh, scholastically, the aptitude to convert all that intelligence into uh, attacking defenses. And uh, Tom was brilliant at representing era on the field. Ara always wanted to hit the defensive weak points of the opponent. Mm -hmm. And Tom was tremendous at doing that. He had an opportunity to go left or right. He could run or pass. These were all tools that Ara gave him. And the thing that was so important is that Tom had the aptitude to do it. I don't think Ara's offense was as, as complex as it was in 73 and 74. Mm -hmm. But he had somebody who can run it. And uh, I'm not saying that the other quarterbacks couldn't, but I think the maturity of Ara's offense over the, the, the 11 years uh, got to a point where they wanted to do certain things, and Ara had the tremendous mind to do it. Now, can I get somebody to, to orchestrate it on the field? And Tommy Clements was that guy. I kind of put him almost in the same category as a, a Michael Jordan or Derek Jeter in – dragging a team Mm -hmm. to victory and dragging performance out of a team, the expectations that he had for the team. Tommy Clemens was great at that. Hardly said a word, but the way he presented the, the, the offense and the way he competed, you wanted to be following him. And he was a great captain in 74 for sure. 
This is the Legacy Heating Air Game Day Show on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. We're talking with Frank Pomerico. So let's go to that uh, Sugar Bowl game. Was that play, that last play with the, the throw to uh, Rob, Robin Weber, which I think was his, his the second option on that play, if I remember right, um, did that come from – did you guys have a timeout before that? I, I kind of don't know what was your the team's reaction when that was called when you're back on your – what was it, the three or four-yard line or six or seven, yeah. something there? It was actually a, a third and eight, and we were going to go on a long count to see if we can get the first down by a penalty. Well, what happened is uh, Dave Casper in the huddle said, uh, okay, long count, nobody go off sides. So everybody goes up to the line of scrimmage, and I see one of their players move. But what happened is Dave Casper went off sides. Oh. <laughs> he was the guy that told us don't move. <laughs> oh, I bet you he didn't feel too good. But uh, Dave had some tremendous plays in that game, catches mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. blocks. Uh, people don't realize how great of a tight end he was. I mean, he's been recognized as a Hall of Fame tight end, but he could have been a Hall of Fame tackle or guard as well. Mm -hmm. He had a tremendous ability. But uh, we went off sides. Now it's third and eight from our three-yard line. And, of course, you know, we, if we're passing, we're going back in the end zone. Right. Eric called a play called tackle trap pass. And he, he rolled his hands, which meant uh, same play. So he called it, and uh, Tommy uh, made what ice in his veins made that throw to Robin Weber. I think they were looking for Dave coming across the middle. Mm -hmm. Dave was covered with about two or three guys. Robin Weber, I think, only caught one pass that year and ran right past the corner and out towards the sidelines. And Clements hit him for about an 18-yard gain. And uh, the rest was history. I mean, we ran out the clock and, and uh, celebrated uh, big time that night, that's for sure. Kind of sounds like uh, uh, Michael Mayer being covered with two or three guys, and there's got to be some other guys opening if you've got everybody on him, right? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's exactly right. So how can you finish a college career any better than a tight game, Sugar Bowl, national TV, and you become number one? I mean, oh, my goodness gracious. How long did you celebrate? Uh, we, we celebrated for months. You know, the thing was, uh, it was really the end of, it was the end of a dream. I mean, uh, as a 13 year old kind of Husky kid, I always had a dream of playing at Notre Dame and then, uh, to, to come there and play for our Parsesian, uh, following Larry DiNardo. And, uh, he, we all went to the same grade school and high school and Jerry DiNardo is now on the big 10 network. We grew up from the fifth grade together. So, a Lady of Grace nuns were really saying the rosary every time Jerry and Frank <laughs> were on the field uh, playing for Notre Dame. But it, it was a, a culmination that is hard to uh, duplicate, that's for sure. It was a it was a great way to write the book mm -hmm. because uh, the end of Camelot was winning that Sugar Bowl and, uh, you know, winning the national championship. It, it was it was it was great. Eris said in a meeting we had a, uh, a reunion, he said, you know, we thought we were one year away, meaning 74 was going to be the year that we were going okay. to excel against mm -hmm. win a national championship. But it came in 73. I don't know if we were as talented as 74, but the thing we had was we had good, solid players and we had good backups. I, I got hurt, missed the first four games. Tom uh, Bolger and Dan Morin came in. We didn't miss a beat and uh, they were great players had great input into the into the uh, championship game and season. So uh, I think that was the reason why we did so well. 
we got about one one minute here. Um, so you're an offensive lineman. What are you seeing on this year's offensive line now at this stage of the the season? Are you seeing the progress you want to see? Well, I see I see good players. I see uh, tremendous talent. I mean, when I think about the size of some of these guys. Yeah, what was yours? You were overlooked because a lot of the colleges said you were too small, but you were over six feet, right? I was six feet one, about 245. In those days, that was an okay size. When you're talking now, you're talking <laughs> six, seven, six, eight, right. you know, guys that are huge. I see our offensive, our offensive talent as very good. I think you have a good uh, offensive line coach. Harry's a great coach. Uh, I think what, what we, you see is maybe the play calling's a little bit different to make uh, their offensive line, our offensive line, look better. I and mean, if we're running the ball, we're going to move it. And uh, I think sometimes if you're dedicated to uh, that aspect of the game, you have the talent to do it. Maybe it's something we should try more of. Uh, anytime you run the ball, you're able to control the clock. If you control the clock, their, their offense is on, not on the field. And I think that's a good thing. As we say goodbye, remind people on that 1973 team that your offensive unit averaged an incredible 350.2 yards a game, Jim. 350.2 yards Man. a game. You know what? I, I, if we, we take half of that right now. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, we didn't have 1,000-yard rusher either. We had about five guys that ran for six or 700 yards each. So one of them was Eric Pennick, Art Best, Gary Demenick, uh, Wayne Bullock. I mean, Al Samuels, Ronnie Goodman. We, all, we had good backs. You guys were the original – Original uh, running back by committee was started back there then. You go. <laughs> and they all had to block. Right. Because if yeah. you didn't block, you didn't carry the ball. Yep. So it was it was a good good way to be. Hey, Frank, I appreciate it again. It's always interesting to talk to you, and I, I think I always uh, hear something new. And you're going to be doing book signing, uh, I think, for the Clemson game at the bookstore. Is that correct? Clemson and I believe uh, Boston College. Yeah, early in the morning, nine thirty to eleven o'clock. It's it's always fun to see the fans come in and reminisce. A lot of times we see, uh, I see former classmates or guys that were there when I was there, or I hear my grandfather uh, was on the team with you. <laughs> you can bring the dogs with you. Uh, I used. I walk them beforehand, so uh, they they usually come in and they don't come into the bookstore though. Oh, okay. <laughs> One of the last things you when you were there, or whatever Joe Theismann, I think is right after you signing books or whatever. He's gonna, right. he's going to try to get over to here and say, give me give get some good re remarks for me in the show, so he'll get out there and get over here before we end. He's got maybe thirty minutes that he can come to us. And it's still kind of in the whether he's going to do it or not. So. Well, Joe, Joe likes to talk. That's for sure. Oh yeah, yeah we know. Yeah. We did. We did a, one of those seven o'clock games last year. We recorded an interview with uh, uh, Joe, and it was forty-five minutes. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, and he had more to say. I'm he sure. did. He probably did. He, yeah. did. he did. All right, Frank Primarico, go get some more coffee. Um, eat that corned beef hash with your scrambled eggs. <laughs> hey guys, thanks for having me. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yep. All right, we'll be right back with multimedia guru and friend of Game Day, former host Len Clark on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Oh, good morning, and it is a good morning. If you're with us, it's a good morning. Just had a great interview with our first guest, a live guest at 7 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> Jim Arizari, Tim Growl, Matt Embry, all in the studio over here at WSBT. Cozy and warm. 
and we just keep going with life. We got, we got donuts. Yes. We got yeah. I we know. Got, we I'll, actually got coffee now too. That's right. I'm, I'm like, on the sugar high from that donut already. So, right? <laughs> so if I if I if I keep talking over Lynn, Lynn will understand. He's a he's a professional broadcaster. I'm not. I'm just I a fan the with a radio mic. I get the good. I get the good donuts. So <laughs> you did too. Yeah. And there's a bunch there. You might have to take some of those home for, you know. Have at it. Make your wife and the dogs happy. Oh, yeah, sure. I, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Our next guest, uh, former host of Game Day. I've known him for years. He's a great guy, but hes I call him the multimedia guru because I can't even keep track of all the things that uh, he does. But he's also, in reverence to him, and he gets the proper dedication, Dr. Lynn Clark. Hey, how you doing, Lynn? Good morning, Michiana. Good morning, Tim Vince. Uh, I'm up in Syracuse. I have not been back here in 36 years. I actually went to school here for a semester, and so I haven't been over to campus yet, but I'm anxious to see if I can remember where some of the things are when I was back here. Well, 36 they... years ago, my God, I'm old. I'm old, but hey, a big game for the Fighting Irish, and I'm looking forward to talking to you about the game today. So was uh, that the stadium that you're they're going to be playing in tonight? I don't care what they call it. It's still the Carrier Dome to me. Um, Put that on a shirt. That's right. What was uh, <laughs> what was the stadium? It probably was an open air stadium there, or was it a covered stadium when you were there? No, 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 no. This is I think the, the Carrier Dome, the JMA Wireless Dome, actually I think uh, went into existence in 1979. But oh my god! It's oh, wow. that old. It's that old genre of like the old Hoosier Dome the kingdom in Seattle. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, you're really old because you remember when they were built and you remember when they were imploded. You know, the Hoosier Dome doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> That's the right. King Dome is <laughs> ancient point. history. So how much longer is the Carrier Dome slash JMA Wireless Dome going to be in existence? Who knows? But it's Siberacuse. That's why I call it. It's very cold up here today. So but I can tell you what, it's going to be 69 degrees inside the dome today <laughs> what let me ask you this because all of a sudden i'm hearing including marcus talking about addressing how hot it is in there i i don't remember going to any enclosed stadium that there's been this much hype about oh we got to hydrate our people ahead of time because it's going to be so hot in there am i missing there, something there's no air conditioning in it for for well, all remember for, yeah. carrier was an air a carrier was an air conditioning company but yeah here, right why is it going to be warm in there with all the things yeah, I, I just don't. Why he, I've never heard him, a coach address being in a dome. We gotta, we gotta drink up and everything. Be, be, so because hot. even though it, you know, had the the corporate name of Carrier yeah. on it, no air conditioning in the place. Oh, jeez. Well, the one thing I can tell <laughs> well, if it's, you if is it's cold out there right now, it should be cold or cold inside too. Hopefully. So. <laughs> I'm sorry, well, Lynn. Go I ahead. I can't remember. I can't remember if it was warm when I was back here, but I can tell you the one thing I do remember about the dome. It's when you would open the door, you would, it was like a vacuum. You were either yep. sucked in or sucked out. Mm. And I, you know, I don't know if that's going to translate on the field, but, hey, it's a game. You, you deal in the moment. If it's warm, then you make, you make adjustments. You, 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 you go in front of a fan. You cool off. Don't use any of those external conditions to, to do something as far as blame. You control the controllables. It is what it is. I like and that I, and this past week, I asked Al Golden. I said, "Listen, what do you think about the the early start? Uh, you did you like it as a player, as a coach?" And he basically said the same thing. Hey, that's when kickoff is. That's when we play. Right there, you go. Right. By the way, they've also done some work at the dome too. Like the roof is has been redone and all that, and they installed air conditioning finally. You've been there. 
No, I just, just read all. read all, read all yeah, that. I was yeah. say, I'm kind of a stadium nerd. I don't know how that <laughs> happened, but I, I'm, I just read up, read up about stadiums. You probably need to get with Lynn with his long career Maybe. and all the stadiums yeah. he's been at, man. Maybe, yeah, give you some inside <laughs> information. I'll, I'll be. I'll give you. I'll be honest with you. I'm not a big fan of playing indoors. I like yeah. the the elements. I like the human element and the weather element because those are the things that you can't really. Well, you can anticipate, but you really can't prepare for it. You can play a game. Uh, you can play the game on a computer and kind of get an idea of what's going to be the outcome. But it's the human element, human error, the, the, the human elements, I said, in addition to the weather. And so that's one of the things I always like because these are at Notre Dame Stadium. Remember that field goal with Harry Oliver? The wind just mm. died after blowing <laughs> yeah, sure all did. day. So <laughs> sure I, I kind of enjoy that. But in, a, in an antiseptic dome, it is what it is. Yeah. Well, I think that's what's going to be. Some people are, are intriguing, me included, that if this new playoffs, if they're going to let some of the – teams, as they say, uh, be seated and also get to have a home game. Wouldn't that be great to have some warm-weather team come up and face Notre Dame in, in a howling December cold snowstorm or whatever, right? Hey, I'm in the press box. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> With the windows wide open and heaters on, right? <laughs> All right, let's get to this Fighting Irish because you get to cover them and you've covered them for years, uh, Irish Illustrated uh, reporter for them. So let me ask you, what group of players are you disappointed in coming out of the summer camp or, or what p- group of players that you have had really high expectations but they're just not living up to that? Well, boy, that is a tough question to be asked on an early Saturday morning. Well, let me ask you. Yeah, I'll give you this tough question. Things, Scrambled hey, or over I, easy I'm eggs? Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not going to single out individual players. No. I'm going yeah. to say a that this is the team. This is not the team that we saw in fall camp. Mm-hmm. I cannot tell you exactly what the issue is. Uh, you guys see them. But – during the week when we have a chance to talk with Marcus Freeman or the players on Tuesday night, mm-hmm. we don't see the practice, but we see the work that they've done. It's just the translation, the game day. And I asked Drew Pine about this this past week. I said, what is the issue when you go from practice to the game? Well, in practice, you can go back and rerun a play if you made a mistake. In games, it's one and done. Mm-hmm. You have to deal with it. So I, I, that's, it's a million-dollar question. I can't tell you. It is disappointing to the fan base of Notre Dame. But, you know, this is something that is going to build character. Adversity builds character. You don't like this taste. It's been a while since Notre Dame has lost. But it's not about what happened in the past. It's about what's happening today. Right. This is another measuring stick for Marcus Freeman and his program. Syracuse, 16th ranked in the country, 6-1. and one. I think Notre Dame can beat them. The only time I've seen Syracuse, I said I said beats and pieces of the Clemson game, but I watched the Purdue game, and Purdue should have won that game. Yes. And I hope Notre Dame watched that tape. But Syracuse has got a great quarterback, a great tight end slash receiver, and a great running back who didn't see a lot of time against Clemson. But it's the type of Notre Dame team that comes in today that's going to be the determining. And I go back to uh, you know a famous quote by Mike Tyson. He says, everybody has a game plan until they get punched in the face. That's Notre true. Dame needs to come out and punch Syracuse in the face to get them out of their game plan, control the controllables. If you control the game, hopefully with that running game, which opens up the pass game, then it's a Notre Dame type of day. If not, it's going to be a long afternoon in the whatever it is dome. This is the Legacy <laughs> Heating Air Game Day show with media guru Dr. Lynn Clark. Uh, let's dig down a little deeper. So when the Syracuse offense faces the Irish defense, what's the Irish defense have to do? 
Well, the big thing is to get that uh, quarterback yes. out of their comfort mm-hmm. zone mm-hmm. And, and, and get a big rush. So this is a game where Isaiah Foskey really needs to live up to his preseason hype. You know, he's done a great job on special teams, but uh, has not really been back in the backfield to wreak havoc. And so it's not just him. It's that entire defensive line that needs to put pressure on. I think Al Golden needs to dial up a few blitzes every once in a while. But just to get them off their pace, if you can kind of control the pace, then it's your type of a day. But, you know, Syracuse is going to come out and score. Now, I believe this is going to be a lower scoring game. I actually predicted 28-24 Notre Dame. But Syracuse has a high-powered offense. Let's hope that Notre Dame just can kind of uh, put them on a road to a detour today and just kind of slow them down a little bit. 28-24, by the way, still hits the over, so... There you go. That's you're talking to our uh, 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 betting, our sports betting, our sports uh, betting guru. Uh, He's our sports betting guru. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now let's take uh, the Irish offense about Syracuse's defense. Um, we, are we going to get some more separation with our wide receivers and not have everything try to go to Michael Mayer? Well, you would hope so, but I think it's really predicated on the run game got three quality running backs in the stable. Andre Gestime has had some some issues holding on to the ball. I hope he has a chance today to 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 show his his running style because he's a New York native, so you know coming back home to the home state. But Logan Diggs with a big performance last week, a workhorse, and then Chris Tyree. So if Notre Dame can run the ball, that opens up that passing game. And I really think that the the other wide receivers besides Michael Mayer want a chance to really trying to get back into the ball game, you know, with Lorenzo Styles and Braden Lindsay. And I think last week I saw Braden Lindsay open a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's really up to Drew Pine right now to really, you know, use his vision to target uh, the open wide receiver instead of just going to Michael Mayer. So Michael Mayer is a great distraction. We know any ball thrown in his area he's going to catch. Look at that catch he made against UNLV last week. Right. He didn't even look at the ball and he brought it in. But I, I think it's just a game where everybody has to hit on all cylinders. That's the running game, the offensive line, the wide receivers. And, if you can do that, you know, it's going to be a game. I'm still trying to figure out how he made that catch, by the way. Yeah. He like didn't, I, 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 was just, I was just looking at video, like, all week, just like. Okay, he didn't even know. He, caught, he never saw the ball until it was in his hands, yeah. at least, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, we'd asked him last week, was that the best catch you ever made? And he said, I'll get back to you on that. So remember, we need to get back to Michael Mayer and say, hey, did you ever watch the tape? Is this right. the best catch you've ever made? <laughs> Mental note. Hey, is all the uh, criticism uh, Tommy Reese been getting justified? Well, that's a sign of leadership is when, when good things happen, then, you know, pat yourself on the back. But when, when things are down, then you take, they take responsibility. And I think that every time time it takes the mic in front of the media, he's going to say, this is on him. And, and, and so he's, you know, he's in a situation where he can only get better. And so it's forget what happened against UNLV. Forget what happened against BYU and, and Marshall in California. It's about what you've done today because you've still got a lot of quality football games left. And these two games between Syracuse and Clemson will really be, I think, the determining factor of what this team was made of this year. And so we'll find out what Tommy's made of today. But we've seen him on his A game. We've seen him when he's had a bad day. But we know as a player he was a competitor. We know that he wants to win as well as the players. And I think it comes down to communication. If they can communicate, get everybody on the same page, the same frequency, then that's also part of that controlling the controllables. I think it's just like, you know, quarterback gets all the praise when it seems like the team wins and gets a lot of the uh, bad accolades uh, when they lose. You know, he can only call the play. The team's got to execute the play. 
and it seems like there's a lot yeah. Exactly, and I think it goes back to that quick start. I think a big key yes. is Notre Dame winning the coin toss. And we saw uh, in the game against Stanford, the first play, it was an offensive penalty against Notre Dame. It was, it's like that first shot, in, the first tee in golf. If you've got a good shot, you know you're going to have a good round. You start off with a bad tee shot, you know, hey, it's going to be one of those afternoons. So a quick start builds confidence, builds continuity. But once again, I go back to that punching Syracuse in the face. Mm-hmm. You do that, then then you control the game. I think just by putting up some points, that would punch them in the face, quite honestly. It's six yeah. first quarter definitely, points. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I know. You know, before the, uh, before the UNLV game last week when they had 23 in the first quarter. Right. So Right. That's Jim Arizari with uh, Lynn Clark from Irish Illustrated on game day. Um, our defense, to me, they, they play so well, but our stats in the red zone are not good. Uh, we're like I was listening to Darren the other day, and I think we're second to last in the country yeah. for red zone conversion. That's that's kind of um, worrisome. Worrisome territory, <laughs> yeah. Lynn. Well, you're exactly right. Uh, you know, red zone is where you need to score points, and that's something that they can you know hopefully take care of today. Anytime you have the ball, you want to score, but inside the red zone, that's where you need to score. And so it's one of those things that Notre Dame has really marked, saying this is one of our goals today. If we get into the red zone, we need to get points. But, you know, last week Marcus Freeman talked about, hey, we've got a great kicker. We need to build his confidence mm-hmm. and get in some playing time. That's why he sent Blake Rupi in to kick a couple of field goals against UNLV. But as long as you get points in the red zone, that's always a good feeling coming away. We want seven, but we'll settle for three. I've been real excited about our special teams. Other than our kickoff returns, I mean, our kickoffs uh, are going out of the end zone, so less chance for them to to uh, run it back or whatever. Our punter is in the in the top punter in yeah. the whole country, right? And we've got he's, – He's had a good amount of practice. Yeah, he has. He has. <laughs> and actually our punt returns, we actually have people returning punts for yeah. a change. Yeah. Which, right, Lynn, you've been covering them a long time. You know, how, how many years was it every year? It was just put your hand up in the air and take a fair catch for a punt at Notre Dame. Well, I know for safety reasons, you know, the kickoffs and yeah. uh, putting the ball at 25. And, and it, it, you take a look at Notre Dame history, it's been the kickoff return that has really been great moments in Notre Dame history. You go back to Rockets and Ismael and getting those touchdowns or Tim Brown with punt returns. And so I'm a big fan of that. But I understand the safety concerns. But, yeah, it's just uh, for safety reasons and then, you know, getting the ball at the 25 or if you get a punt. But, I would like to see that because it's really a momentum changer. And if, if Notre Dame is behind in this game and they have an opportunity to have a return, then this is something that they need to do. But we really haven't seen a lot of it. And, uh, but it's just the game. The game is evolving. It's changing, and you have to deal with it. But as a fan, I know uh, that, that it's, it's not as exciting as days gone by. So we're all for Notre Dame, but what's your realistic expectation for these final five games one game today and then four in December or, or November what do you think the record is going to be at the end of the, uh, November well we take it game by game I think you walk out of ah, come on give me, I'm trying to put you on the spot five, and five and three okay let's take it let's go through the thing five and three and then you've got a big game against Clemson coming up and All I'm right. going to challenge the fans is, is that you know it, it the, the Notre Dame fans need to be that 12th man. They're going to need them next week against Clemson. And so I really think Notre Dame playing at home can knock it off the undefeated Clemson team. So you do that, you're at 6-3. at three. 
Then you go on the road to Navy. You're at seven and three. Boston College eight and three, and then a tough uh, USC team. And let's say they they take a falter out there, so eight and four. I know there's speculation about possibly going to the Holiday Bowl, but hey, forget about that. Right. You'll end yeah. at the end of the season. Right now, the most important game is Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Syracuse, 16th in the country, a 6-1 and one record. This is a game that Notre Dame needs to win. They have to win. And you do that, it builds that momentum into going into the Clemson game. If, it not, if it doesn't, then it's going to be a very long week preparing for Clemson. As Marcus said, these next two games, you'll find out what your team's really made of. Yeah, I, I, but once again, Notre Dame fans were really not expecting this type of a season. No, the, the right. honeymoon is over. Right. This is this is a learning experience for everybody, and you know the players want to go out there and win the games and do their best. But uh, to to look in the crystal ball, I, I can't tell you what the big difference is going from fall camp. I basically it was back to execution. But Marcus Freeman started off the season talking about finishing. Then it was execution. Now it's off to quick starts and confidence. They need all of those together right now because the season is dwindling down and this is the time where you need to employ everything that you've been taught. You know how they're bringing back, uh, Jim, all the alumni to help with Notre Dame? Mm-hmm. They need to bring back all these alumni press people who've been covering for Notre Dame for years. Lynn could go down there and give them a pep talk. <laughs> right, Lynn? Well, I think in, in you, Tim, and Jim, I'm sorry about that. I said Vince. I'm so used to talking to everybody on the show. No it's, problem. It, it's 7 o'clock uh, in the morning. But, it's know, okay. <laughs> call me anything just don't ever call me late for yet. dinner exactly <laughs> but you know but you know you bring up an interesting point is that uh, you, you know there's so much responsibility on the college athlete and on game day they've got back to the old tradition which i really love going back to the basilica and then they beat in front of the library you know there's so many different moving parts but right now it's just focus on football and avoid the distractions and I, I know that's very important from a PR standpoint and from a fan standpoint to have those pregame rituals, but I just hope that serves as a motivator and it's part of that 12th man that I say that needs to show up next week at Notre Dame Stadium, regardless of the outcome at Syracuse today. But we know at noon there's going to be a kickoff. Hopefully Notre Dame will win that coin toss, defer, jump out to a big lead, and then control that ball in the third quarter to really wear down a Syracuse team. If they do that, I think they'll walk out with that 28-24 win over the Orange and that is the over. Well spoken, as I always expected from you. Always great to have you on, and, and great to see you. And thanks for coming on so early this morning. Um, really appreciate it, Lynn. You go have a good day and an Irish victory. Go Irish. Go Irish. This is Sports Radio 960 W. Then you can monster mash. Here's a good intro for you, Jim. What do we got with the people that keep us on the air? Uh, Legacy Heating and Air Game Day brought to you by Legacy Heating and Air, a Cook family business. Also by Centier Bank, Indiana's largest private family-owned bank. South Bend Orthopedics, team physicians for the University of Notre Dame since 1949. And the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, Hunger is a Story We Can End. Learn more at feedindiana.org. We're going to take another short break, and we'll be back to close the first hour of Legacy Heating Air Game Day Show on Sports Radio 960 WSB. Who you going to call? Ghostbusters! Yeah, a little Ghostbusters to get us going again, too. So, Jim, how about a few more sponsors? Uh, Legacy Heating and Air Game Day brought to you by Legacy Heating and Air, a Cook family business. Also by Sherwood Tire. 
your one stop for complete auto care at the corner of US 30 and Oak Road in Plymouth. Also by Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. We've had a great hour. Uh, Frank Pomerico from the uh, 1973 National Championship team. A good wake-up call. Yeah, that's right. And his dogs didn't bark one time. Those are good dogs. Yeah, they good are. Dogs. Mine, mine be barking all over the place. <laughs> yeah, mine too. And we also uh, had uh, multimedia guru, Irish Illustrated's Dr. Lynn Clark. We didn't get into that, but he just got that doctor designation in the last year. So oh, okay. he, he teaches at Notre Dame, among other places, stuff too. So well-rounded guy. Hey, we'll be right back after a short break for the second hour of the Legacy Heating and Air Game Day show. Join us will be 1988 National Championship linebacker and two-time Notre Dame captain, Ned Bolkar. And we'll talk with team captain of the 1966 National Championship team, running back Rocky Blyer. And we always love visit Rocky. He's got quite a story, as you know. We'll also get our final report from Syracuse with our show's favorite doctor, Brian Radigan. Stay right where you are on the home for Fighting Irish Football Sports Radio 960 WSBT. And your Fighting Irish are on the road again. They are up in Syracuse, New York, playing Syracuse. What's uh, Jim? What's I forgot? All of a sudden, what's Syracuse? What's their mod or uh, team mascot? Uh, the Orange. The Orange. Now I know why I forgot it. It's right. not. Yeah, it's, they're the lemon, whatever. So, <laughs> welcome back to the second hour of Legacy Heating Air Game Day Show. I'm Tim Grau, along with Jim Ariseri and Matt Embry is producing here. There's a joke there about lemons. There, there, there's. There's got to be something, there's right? There's got to be something there. We're all back here in the cozy WSBT studios, but we're so glad you're taking some time out of your day to listen, getting up so early. Pour another cup of coffee, pull that cereal bowl. Let's see here. Uh, Cocoa Puffs for me today. Maybe Lucky Charms. Mm. Cinnamon Toast Crunch is Oh, there you go. There you go. We're four hours away from kickoff right here on WSBT. Stay right here because immediately after game day at 9 a.m. will be the game day sports beat show powered by Michelob Ultra. That leads into the network pregame show, then kickoff just after 12 noon today. And your coverage is not over when the game ends. After the game, join our own Jim and Reggie Brooks for official, the official Notre Dame postgame show where they review all the stats of the game and the, and the interviews. All on Sports Radio 960 WSBT via the Sports WSBT Radio Sports app and streaming at WSBTRadio.com. So, we ready to go for that second hour? I think so. Okay. All right. I've I still can... got the Red Bull going through me. I know. You got that. Jim's, Jim's pacing the studio right now. And we've got on the phone, we've got our next guest, two-time Notre Dame team captain and national championship linebacker, successful businessman. I think he had a three or four year, maybe longer. He'll tell me. He'll correct me. Pro career. And that would be Ned Bolkar. Good morning, Ned. Hey, good morning, Tim. Good morning, Jim. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you early. <laughs> So, owning a orange uh, th- uh, therapy uh, fitness place, are you up? Uh, are you normally up early? And I said that wrong, didn't I? Yeah, it's our Orange Theory Fitness. Uh, it's one of the uh, best uh, fitness franchises in the world. Uh, I'm fortunate to be owner of uh, six different studios here in the Pennsylvania and New Jersey, and uh, I work from my house. <laughs> <laughs> Not and a bad way so to go. This is our. Yeah, this is early because I went to my high school uh, state playoff game last night, night oh. in Phillipsburg High School, uh, handily beat Elizabeth High School, 
and uh, they move on to the second round of the New Jersey State playoffs. So I had a late night last night there, and uh, but it's always a pleasure being being on with you guys early. And uh, I'm fighting a little bit of a cold, so I apologize. No, no, no. Okay, that's going right. That's going around with everybody. Hey, so talking about that high school career, I mean, you were quite the stud back when you played. So was that program always been good, or did it start when you got the program really going in your years? The uh, Phillipsburg State Liners uh, have been playing football for 115 years. Woo! And they're the winningest <clears throat> football and wrestling program in the state of New Jersey. And that says a lot. Uh, somebody says, well, that's because you've been playing football for 115 years. And the answer really is <laughs> we've been playing football and wrestling very well for 115 years. Uh, we're also proud that I think it's 115 years in a row. I may be a, a year short of that. Uh, the Easton, Pennsylvania, which is the second winning season in Pennsylvania, plays my high school, Phillipsburg High School, on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, the only year that was broke was during covid and we play at Lafayette College in front of fifteen to 20,000 fans every Thanksgiving. So very proud of that. 1984, you were a USA Today High School All-American. And then in 1985, you were Parade Magazine's National Co-Player of, of the Year. What kind of what kind of feedback do you get from your friends at, uh, at your high school and everything? Kind of giving you a little ribbon or? Well, not really. Um, to name a few great Phillipsburg players, and some people will know the names. Some will that went to Phillipsburg High School that played at Syracuse. Uh, Ted Daly played and coached many years in college uh, football. Ted Daly and Jim Ringo, a Green Bay Packard Eagles legend, is in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Played uh, center. Bob Stem, who coached me for my freshman year at Phillipsburg High School. Uh, he's in the Coaches Hall of Fame in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Bob was the starting center, second-team All-American at Syracuse, uh, beat uh, Notre Dame in South Bend back in the 1960s. Uh, Herb Stecker and Charlie Stecker, his brother, both played at Syracuse. Joe Zombasi was athletic director and coach at Syracuse for uh, a number of years, coached seven years, AD for, I think, 20. And Kevin O'Stician, uh more recently in the last uh, about 20 years ago, played uh, for a couple of years at Syracuse. So that's just a few of the guys from my high school that played at Syracuse. And so uh, me getting recruited to go to Notre Dame or any other school, uh, I'm one of many over the years that have had that opportunity uh, to go on to major college play sports. So uh, is it a big deal? Sure. They're very proud of their athletes, their student athletes, but no. That didn't separate me from – the rest of my teammates and and uh, people in Phillipsburg expect excellence from our sports and our student athletes. And, uh, you know, here's what you get. If you don't win, you'll hear about that. If you win, they just clap like they usually do. Sounds like more like a factory than a, uh, yeah. than a high school, quite honestly. Here's all the it's, great things uh, that we're putting out. <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of the greatest uh, high schools in the country to play football. New Jersey has a lot of great football, as we know. They do. But for most of the years, uh, many years we played New Jersey, still do right now in New Jersey, uh, against some great players who, who play college football, professional football. But when I was in school, for many years we played a Pennsylvania schedule, including Whitehall, where Matt Millen and Saquon Barkley played, Man. Bethlehem Catholic, John Spagnuolo, Mike Gooman, uh, Mayus Keith Dorney. You know, get on the list. Easton, Pennsylvania, some great players out of Easton. You know, uh, Andre Reed from Deer High School, uh, uh, Two Way Charlie, uh, 
oh, what the heck, our linebacker, one of the greatest linebackers ever for the Eagles. Uh, last, the Iron Man, uh, so Allen High School. How am I forgetting his name? Help me out. I wish I, I wish I could. I'm just impressed about all. Right? Do you have Do you have a brain classes there at your therapy place? Because man, you're ripping off names and numbers and years. I'm impressed. And I went to bed at two o'clock in the morning because I watched the World Series last night. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Uh, you know what? I have to mention that Bill Walsh, not not the Bill Walsh of the San Francisco 49ers, but the Bill Walsh All American and Notre Dame right. is from Pittsburgh High School. And coached 30 years in, in professional football, and nobody who could forget 1957, uh, the seven nothing victory over Oklahoma break their winning streak. Uh, he was from Phillipsburg Catholic. Uh, Dick Lynch, he's also also a local guy. So uh, there's quite a few more that went to other schools. But since we're talking Notre Dame and Syracuse today, I'll focus on on the ones I've mentioned. But uh, no, I get people say who who do you cheer for? I say Phillipsburg High School, Notre Dame, and that's it. That's enough. That's enough. Yeah. We're with uh, yeah. former Notre Dame two-time uh, team captain and linebacker uh, Ned Bolkar on game day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. So um, you played a lot of ba- ba- baseball, excuse me, baseball and basketball along with football uh, in school and stuff before coming to Notre Dame. If you couldn't have played football, what would it have been, baseball or basketball? Probably baseball. I was 6'2". In seventh grade, and I could dunk in eighth grade, and I can't. I couldn't dunk by the time I was a sophomore uh, because then I just got a little bit bulkier and was very bulky. I was, I was 100, what was I, 198 pounds coming to Notre Dame as a linebacker because I played multiple sports. But baseball, I could, I could hit uh, on a high level. I don't think I had a very accurate arm, so that was why made me be a first <laughs> baseman or a right fielder or designated hitter, but. Arkansas, they wanted me to play football, obviously, first. But they also said I could come down and play baseball at Arkansas, and that's that's a pretty good deal there. Uh, but, you know, I love basketball. That was my first love uh, growing up. We were fortunate to play on, on some young teams together uh, in middle school uh, – sorry, elementary school, and I think our record was 107-4. The group of guys uh, with the same coach for six years playing together. So – and then I was fortunate enough at Phillipsburg High School – to be part, I didn't. I was the second guy off the bench, or third guy off the bench. We won the Group Three state championship in New Jersey, and back then you had to win seven games to win the state championship. Wow! And if you know anything about New Jersey basketball, it is terrific. It's terrific, like and football, yeah. And very few teams will ever or never will again win a game that comes out of Warren County, uh, New Jersey, which is on the border of Pennsylvania. It's just not going to happen. You play too many great schools from uh, the urban areas that just have talent galore. Uh, but Phillipsburg, we were talented with players that ended up playing at uh, Uppsala and uh, um, Lehigh University. And uh, well, what's the team that just went to uh, the Final Four this year from New Jersey? Oh, my God, I can't believe I'm forgetting that out of uh, Jersey City uh, or, or Newark. Anyway, so we had, we had a real – talented players uh, but we play basketball baseball very few of our athletes play one sport our best football players wrestled and play baseball and play basketball you know and and we fed off of each other in all the sports so you know you can tell i'm very proud of where i'm from and uh the teams i played on so your dad and was i gotta a... tell you go ahead go ahead no you go I ahead i gotta tell you uh randy etzel was the assistant coach at syracuse 
he must have came to 10 football games, 10 baseball games, <laughs> at least eight basketball games over the two or three years he recruited me. Uh, coach McPherson was the head coach at the time. Syracuse had a heck of a team at 87. Don McPherson, the quarterback, Coach mm-hmm. McPherson, sure. uh, head coach. Randy, when they beat Nebraska at the Carrier Dome, um, it was a big upset that game. And I get a phone call two minutes later, and you can hear all the players in the locker room yelling and screaming. And it's Coach Edsel saying, Ned, you can be part of this. Come to Syracuse. Well, the tough thing is after Thanksgiving Day game, uh, my senior year in 1984, Coach Edsel stopped at my house after the game and we were getting ready to have dinner. I think he stayed for dinner. And the replay of the game was on TV. And for somehow, the, some way, the announcer, which wasn't, wasn't true at the time, he said, looks like Ned Bolker will be headed to Notre Dame. Oh. And Coach says, wow, that's a heck of a way to tell me, Ned. I said, I had nothing to do with that. Oh, and, man. And that was just assumed because I was a Notre Dame fan growing up. But uh, I, I wasn't even close to making my decision at that time. Huh. By the way, that school last year, St. Peter's. That was going to put me the rest you. of the day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ed Tarpey, Ed Tarpey from Phillipsburg was, was a great player at Phillipsburg High School. Uh, he, uh, he played St. Peter's, yeah. Let's uh, talk about that uh, recruiting since you kind of stopped right there. What Notre Dame coach um, came to your house or coaches? Or did they uh, not come to your house? Oh, no, they did. Uh, um, shouldn't. Uh, Jim Higgins. Jim Higgins was a offensive lineman in the NFL for a number of years, and uh, he was offensive line coach at Notre Dame under Jerry Faust. Okay. So Jim Higgins was my recruiter on the East Coast, along with a, a, a wonderful man who did a lot of recruiting as a coordinator out of Philadelphia, out of his home. Uh, Jim Kennedy uh, was hired by Jerry Faust as his re- recruiting coordinator. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then, it might not have been as, a, as uh, prestigious as it is nowadays, but and definitely not a very well-paid position. But Jim Kennedy was a very loyal friend and, uh, and a follower of Muller High School for Coach Faust. And when Coach Faust got the head coaching job, he, he named Jim Kennedy, who worked out of his house in Philadelphia. And my first offer uh, scholarship offers it was as a sophomore or whatever you want to say back then what an offer consisted of. Uh, he said Mark Green was the first one he offered as a sophomore class. And then his next phone call was to me to offer me my sophomore, end of my sophomore year. What did, and Coach so, Fowles came to my house, yes, and came to a basketball game. And, yeah, it was what, great what to a, have him in our house. Yeah, what a great, what a great guy. He, he bleeds blue and gold in, in Notre Dame. Um, yeah. So then you had you had a transition uh, going from one coach to another. How how difficult was that? Uh, you know what? I, I'm thankful every day that uh, Coach Holtz came to Notre Dame. If not, you know, I, I wouldn't have been part of a national championship team. Uh, I wouldn't have been part of a team that won 24 out of 25 games our last two years. Uh, so, you know, I went to Notre Dame because I grew up and I, I, deep in my heart – I love the idea of playing for Notre Dame. Well, once you get there, it, it's tough. It's, the facilities weren't the best at, at the time, and you are really definitely a student athlete. Um, <clears throat> individually, it would have been easier to go to Penn State, Ohio State, where there's no coaching change, where you just, you know, you become one of their players they recruit. It, the, the only tough side was when, you know, a new coach comes in, they bring their own players in. They make a lot of promises to these young players because 
to try to establish their uh, their the pipeline to recruiting schools, certain schools around the country. And uh, you know, I felt that a bit at the time. Uh, but you know, like many uh, other players, like myself, you know, we we persevered, we became better, and we uh, got to play a lot, and we we reaped the benefits of having great coaches led by Coach Holtz and a great recruiter in Vinny Serrato, uh, build a team that, you know, was made up of uh, pre-Coach Holtz players and and newly recruited players, I think two or three years of recruits, and end up winning a national championship in many, many more games for many years at Notre Dame until Coach Holtz retired in, I think it was 96, I believe. Right. So we're so with – yeah, it, go ahead. Go ahead. No, continue. Uh, we're with Ned Bolkar from the uh, Notre Dame two-time team captain, uh, 88 and 89 for uh, the Fighting Irish. Uh, do you have a Lou Holtz impression and a short no, favorite, I, short favorite I story? Can't, I, I can't do, no, I can't do a, a Lou Holtz impression, but obviously a <laughs> lot of wonderful stories and some funny stories and some in-between stories. Um, you know, a couple of funny stories. Uh, we're in training camp. It's hot as heck early August in South Bend. And we're probably a week or two, a week or so into it. And uh, Coach Holtz came out in the morning and it's 90 degrees and the humidity is 90 some percent. And uh, <clears throat> he says, hey, guys, I think about giving you off today. So obviously that gets our attention in the afternoon. <laughs> the afternoon session. He says, but I called up Coach uh, Schembechler at Michigan. I said, hey, coach, you know, you know, it's been tough. I'm sure your guys are tired. My guys are tired. This is grueling. He said, I'm thinking about giving my guys the day off this afternoon. What do you think about that for your guys, too? He said, no <laughs> way, coach. He said, we got a big game coming up in you know, three weeks, and, and we can't spare a second off the field. He said, so what do you want to do, guys, practice or take the day off? <laughs> it took a while for a response, but. He got the response he wanted. Yeah, that's we need Lou. To practice this afternoon. <laughs> that's so, Lou. That's you know, <laughs> Coach Holtz is is it's so funny nowadays. Teams have team psychologists, right? Right. Besides nutritionists and many other mm-hmm. things that all these programs have. Chiropractors go down the list of things they have that we wouldn't even imagine having. But I could. I, we joke about this as players. Could I was like, could you imagine Coach Holtz? Deferring to a team psychologist. Oh my God! <laughs> no way. I mean, no way. Lou, Lou was the team psychologist. Not only was the head coach, he was the marketing guy for Notre Dame, fundraiser, you name it. But he was a team psychologist, and nobody was going to touch <laughs> the players or the coaches besides him. And uh, we we laugh really hard when we think about that because that would last. The cameraman who took the team picture every year uh, was sweating bullets. For the, for the five minutes it took to take that picture, <laughs> Coach Holtz was, was, was ribbing him the whole time and, and, and literally wanted the picture taken in five seconds. A uh, hundred <laughs> some guys lined up and coaches. So, yeah. I remember also uh, Coach Holtz from the beginning said, great athletes never get injured. You're always in a good football position. You should never get injured. Well, that was the spell when Tim Brown got hurt one day for missed a couple of days of practice. They're, he's about as great of an athlete as, as we had out there. And uh, the funny story is sometimes Coach Holtz would, would like to go back and and, uh, and catch punts when we have punts. Yes. To show, the, show the returners how to get underneath the ball. And I, you know, even he, 
that 40-some years old can catch a punt. Well, one day I'm walking in the locker room, and, and the trainer training door was closed. Like, they were trying to lock it. But there's another door that was partly open. I peek in, and I see Coach Holtz, and, it, and the trainers are shooting a needle into his finger. He broke his finger. Trying to, <laughs> trying to catch a punt, right? And nobody, nobody besides the trainers knew this. So the next day where I practiced, I saw it. Next day I practiced. He's running the, uh, the special teams drill, uh, punt coverage, getting down the field, spreading out, you know, breaking down, keeping the, uh, the runner, you know, in front and between you, inside you. And when he said you break down, he snapped his finger that was broken. <laughs> when he snapped his finger, he screamed and went down to one knee. Oh, I started. I laughed my ass off. Sorry. <laughs> Everybody's looking at me like, what? Because I knew he had a broken finger. I thought it was the funniest thing ever. <laughs> How many laps did you Sorry, run that coach. day? <laughs> None. No, no. But, but, but along that line, another early, uh, another practice, uh, we're stretching. And the, obviously, not obviously, the coaches, especially Coach Holt, love to talk to players uh, like, like Marcus Freeman does during uh, warm-ups and stretching. And um, big, big Dean Brown, God rest his soul, is no longer with us. Dean was an offensive guard, terrific human being, great player. And he said, Coach Holtz, I saw a picture the other day. Looks like you – did you play football for um, Kent State? And uh, I think Coach Holtz uh, heard something coming his way. He said, yeah, Dean, uh, I did. Like, and he said, well, it looks like you're a water boy. And not actually a player on the team. Oh, Coach, and, and Coach Holtz, as you know him, you better make sure you get the last word because if he gets the last word, you're done. You're in, not... in any setting, any setting, if he gets the last word, he you're going to get buried alive, roasted. He said, well, Dean, that's awful funny, son. He said, but you can be awful funny watching you play second team all day tonight. <laughs> Brown plays second team offensive guard. All day long. I think there was two practices that day. That was probably a training camp in 1988 or 89. And you learn very early that he's the boss and you don't rock the ship with the boss. And and the the famous story is absolutely true. And I tell it uh, from the beginning uh, when I started telling these stories. His first meeting ever, Chuck Lanza, who who definitely agrees and, and admits, had his foot up on a little on a dais. The dais was like two feet high. The stage in the old athletic convocation center where our meeting was. And Coach Holtz walked in. The first thing he did, he kicked Chuck's feet, like just kicked him off the stage, and said, "Son, how long have you been playing football?" And I think Chuck uh, said ten years, eleven years, something something like that. And he said, "If your if your ass is not against the back of a chair in three seconds, you'll never play another down of football in your life." You heard a hundred guys straight, in that room straighten up, sit up, <laughs> and for the next four years I was at Notre Dame. I don't know if anybody ever slouched again. <laughs> I do remember one or two meetings when he called player out out of nowhere in, a, in in the middle of one of his comments or you know coaching sessions and say so and so go back to your dormitory. Everybody turn around and look at whoever he named, and it happened once or twice. He said, "If you can't stay awake, go back and go to sleep." Literally, kick the player out told him to go back to his dormitory go to sleep and that means you're not gonna play for a while if that happens mm. and that happened at least twice while i was there wow, so, wow. There's, there's a thousand wonderful stories motivating stories about coach holt and 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 there's 
you know, there's ones that are good, bad, and different. <laughs> Depends Wait, where you were. Yeah. And so I've yeah, often a lot of Jerry found stories too. <laughs> I've often said for all the years doing this show, I should write a book all about the stories that the players tell me, and then take those stories back to Lou and see what his version is of them. Oh, but, uh, he, he 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 would agree with most of them, and and he would throw in his own. That's right. Uh, great story. His spin on it and stuff, too. Hey, Ned Bolkar, 21 minutes goes fast. We got to move on. We got Rocky Blyer. You're the warm-up act for Rocky Blyer. So we got to move. Well, big fan, big fan of Pittsburgh Steelers, big fan of Rocky Blyer. I was fortunate enough to get a beautiful signed uh, picture from him, from one captain to another. And, uh, you know, I I love everything that Rocky Blyer does right now and and did in his career. He served our country, so – Hey, it's it's an honor to be on the same show with with Rocky Blyer and the, all these other great guys and say hi to Dr. Radigan for me. I love the Rat Man. He played when I was there. He's a young guy. And thank you, Tim and Jim, for once again inviting me. And go Irish. It's going to be a tough game. Syracuse has a heck of a ball team. They should beat Clemson. And the Dome is not easy to play at. But uh, I got Notre Dame winning, you know, 30 to 20, 27, I think. All right. Nice. That's Ned Bolkar, two-time Notre Dame Team captain, member of the 1988 National Championship team. You go have a great day, Ned. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Go Irish. Go Irish. We'll be right back with Rocky Blyer. It is. We got to get ready for Halloween for our little kids and everything. So a little bit of the what's that theme song, Young Jim? Arizeri. Uh, this is uh, this is the Munsters. You got it. All right, all right. And you've got something else for our listeners. I, I do. Legacy Heating and Air Game Day brought to you by Legacy Heating and Air, a Cook family business. Also by Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt. Don't shop where new beginnings have happy endings. Tim Growl, State Farm Insurance for amazingly great rates on auto, home, and life insurance. Call Tim at 574-232-9981. And Michelob Ultra, locally distributed by United Beverage Company. Michelob Ultra, the superior light beer with only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. Thank you, Jim. Tim Growl here, Jim Arizeri, and Matt Stu- Matt Embry's in the studio producing. And we got on one of my favorite guests. It took me only 20 years till I was finally able to get him on the show. And now, because I get to book all the guests, I get to book him every season. And that would be former Notre Dame team captain and a member of the Notre Dame 1966 National Championship team. You know him for his long career in the Pittsburgh Steelers. And we're going to touch on, on both of those, and that would be Rocky Blyer. Good morning, Rocky. Hey, good morning, guys. It's nice to be with you uh, on this beautiful morning. I don't, I, I don't know what it's like there, but here in Pittsburgh, the sun's up. Ah, it's a gorgeous fall day. So, anyway. Rocky, here's what I, I, I learned to correct myself. So, we're in a studio with no windows. The first, <laughs> the, first show of the, the first show or second show of the year, I don't remember, was it was a home game. And when I came into the studio, it was rainy, dark, dingy. So, I'm going out all during the show telling people how – how rotten the weather is and the bundle up for the game and all that. I get out of there and there's a text from my daughter. She's going, dad, what are you saying? I go, I text her. I call her. I said, what? She goes, it's sunny out here. Now it's warm and you're telling everybody to put coats on and it's raining and stuff. So what can I tell you? You know what? We only see what we see here. Anyway, I digress. So I'm going to start out this one question. I've been meaning to ask you for a number of years. Were you on the team when the immaculate reception happened for Pittsburgh? Yes, I was. I thought you were. So where were you when that happened? I was on 
<laughs> I will tell you where I was. I was on the 40-yard line. On the sideline. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, wow. You weren't in the game. You were on the sideline watching. I got, it took me a while. Give me one of those red bulls. I got to get my brain going here. <laughs> so what did you see so from the there? So I was on the sidelines. And, you know, it was one of these, oh, well, you know, the game. I and mean, the game was, uh, it was a tightly, you know, fought the uh, battle. And all of a sudden, oh, God, uh, Lenny Dawson, their quarterback, breaks one and he scores. Um, and, uh, you know, it was like, it, damn, it was like, man. Anyway, so we get the ball back. Now it's, uh, <laughs> now Bradshaw's got some ball down on the 40 yard, on, on our 40 yard line and, or their 40 yard line. And so I'm on our 40 yard line down on the sidelines. And so one incomplete, two, three, fourth down, uh, 26 seconds left to go on the clock. He drops back. I see that. And I said to myself, mm, I can't watch this. <laughs> and they turned away. And I missed it, like everybody else. All of a sudden, I hear this roar. What happened? Oh, I don't know. Well, he scored. You're kidding me. Oh, my goodness gracious. And so that's my my recollection of my experience. And, and, and it just occurred to me, that was 1972, right? So 50 years ago this year? 50 years ago, yeah. So oh, my God. going on here in December 23rd um, in uh, in Pittsburgh. You know, it's just like last week, last week, and, and here's the following game. Last week, last week, Steelers played Miami, down in Miami, and they celebrate their perfect, perfect yeah. season, which was the week later for us. We're playing Miami in Pittsburgh. Uh, and uh, the one play, one play changes their luck, of course, and that is a uh, a, a fake punt uh, that uh, takes them down the field and puts them in scoring uh, position uh, to win the game. And um, so as much as we were lucky the week before or lucky and uh, had the immaculate reception, uh, they beat us the following week, thus to go on to uh, – Super Bowl and have their perfect season. Damn. So you wish the, <laughs> this, you wish the season had, had ended right with that immaculate re- reception. Hey, so back in that day, the quarterbacks called the plays, right? Right, right, right. And so Bradshaw, you know, he, I mean, he's um, he's so proud of that fact. You know, is that he called his own plays. He was on the line. You know, Chuck called the first three plays uh, of the game. Um, you know just in case Bradshaw should forget. So we tell him, and that gets him going in, at the beginning of the game. Um, so, and then it's up to him. Uh, and there's, you know, there's a certain sense about calling your own plays because now I, 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 the responsibility is on you. So That's so exactly what I was going to lead into. Right. And so now you got to take, you got to, you got to take responsibility. Unlike today where, you know, I mean, I'm and especially on the pros and, and maybe in college and the college. Oh, my goodness. I get sidelined this and that and so on. Um, part of it is, you know, all right, fine. I mean, here's my team. I'm out on the field. I have to take responsibility for what I call. Um, and as so does the other team. And so part of that that responsibility is like, OK, what's working? What's not working? What's adjusting? Uh, and it becomes more prevalent in the. In, in, in the NFL than in college. Um, but in, and so in, in the NFL, it was like Brad Bradshaw would come into the huddle and say, okay, fine. 
hey, what do you guys want to run? You know, what's working here? What's working there? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get that feedback. And so uh, the receivers always wanted the foot, always wanted to catch the ball. Of course, that's all. Hey, I'm open. I'm open. I'm open. I'm open. It was like a broken record. You could hear that all the time. Uh, <laughs> from, from, <laughs> 10 yards out, you know, they'd be coming back into the huddle 10 yards away. They'd go, hey, I'm open. I'm open over here. So anyway, but I think, but, but I do, I, I, I think there's some legitimacy in that, in, in, in calling your own place and understanding what's sure. taking place and having that team effect. Yes. Well, I'm a purist too. And it just drives me crazy. And probably you do too. When they go up to the line and then they stop, I mean, they're getting their stances, they stop and they all get up and they look to the sideline. Right. And then they get another play and then they change again. It's like, what? That's not true football. <laughs> no, you got to you got to do it. You know, we didn't look to the sidelines. <laughs> Bradshaw would look to uh, uh, Mike Webster, our center. There you go. Because he's the one that, yeah, he's the one that would uh, have uh, the line ball, you know, so the blocking in the line. <laughs> and Bradshaw would come up and, you know, he'd, he'd call a play at, in the huddle. And so they'd come up to the line <laughs> and they would audible. And that's what Pete, and that would be it, you right? Can see, you can see Web, you can see Webster turn his head and shake it no, <laughs> <laughs> and then he, he'd audible another place, and he'd go no <laughs> until he had audible to the right, to, well, the right <laughs> play that, that he wanted to call, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's why the one who could block or whatever it might be. So, oh, yeah, that happened more often than not. We're yeah. busy. We're visiting with 1966 Notre Dame National Championship running back and, and uh, Notre Dame team captain Rocky Blyer on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Since we've had you on before, I was going around picking up things that I wanted to talk about that we haven't had a chance. So uh, let me go back now. This would be in between your Notre Dame career and your Pittsburgh career. It was the night before the 1969 game versus USC, and you spoke at a pep rally. And like I said, this was just right after your return from <laughs> Vietnam. From Vietnam. Do you have any, you know, memories of, of of that? I mean, you had come a long way already, but here you are in front of all these people, and now you're not a player. Now you're addressing all the fans. The fans, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm addressing the the student body, you right? Know? So it was at the old the old field house, uh, which was uh, you know part of the tradition. And the band would start the band would start on campus and go from dorm to dorm to dorm and pick up. Uh, all the uh, all the students and they'd march and then and, the, and then uh, the players would be at the far end of the old field house um, for those who never had that uh, experience and so up on the balcony the, 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 the team would be situated and the band would come in and, you know and so if you get you get a thousand you know students packed in on the floor down there and the band's playing, the fight songs going on, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it really got enthusiasm, you know. So we're playing Southern Cal. And I had stopped on campus. I'd stopped on campus just to pay my respects on my way back to um, uh, to uh, Wisconsin, to my home. Um, and I wanted to stop in and see Era uh, at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway... So I, I I I did that, and then one one of the um, uh, athletic directors, and, and just I give skips my my brain at this time. Anyway, so he said, "Let me talk to you." Oh, he said, "Okay, fine." He, and so he said, "Hey, well, I'd love you to come to the pep rally tonight and speak at the pep rally." And I 
Oh, and I really, you know, I felt uncomfortable about doing that only because it wasn't in my place. I was just coming back for a visit, et cetera, et cetera. And so then, uh, then all of a sudden it goes into the pitch of God country and Notre Dame and how important it is <laughs> in my mind. Um, I, I, I quietly hear the star spangled banner being played as the American flag is raised as it is calling my loyalty. <laughs> I said, okay, fine. <laughs> I'll speak. I'll speak. I'll speak. I'll speak. And, and I, you know, so I'm going to say, what am, what am I going to say? What, you know, what am I going to say? And I'm thinking about it. And I'm thinking about it. And then, so, you know, Aaron's the first one that, 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 that speaks. And then he, he brings up uh, the captains and they speak. And he, what, I should say this. He brings up a couple of assistant coaches and they speak. Then he brings up the captains, you know, and they, they speak. Uh, and then he was going to turn it over until he turns around and he sees me and then he remembers he's supposed to introduce me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so then he goes, Oh, then he introduces me. Like, <laughs> and I, and I stand up there. So I, and I speak or, or I attempt to speak. And my, my, my speech is something like this. You know, it's been a couple of years <clears throat> since I've had the opportunity to stand uh, before you uh, here in this. Uh, field house um, and in those couple of years uh, a lot of things have happened to me uh, I met I met people much like yourselves and had dreams and uh, <clears throat> and wanted to get things accomplished within their lives and unfortunately I had to leave some of them on the battlefields in Vietnam and I start to cry oh man and, and I started to cry. And, and, so, and so I finally pulled myself together and I go, and let's win one for them in their memory. That's, that's... <laughs> so they take me away. And um, anyway, it was a game that uh, was a game that Notre Dame tied. Oh, um, okay. You know, that's tended, right. you know, it, was a, it was a tie game. It was uh -huh. a tie game. And I, and I call, well, you know, you could have lost it, but fortunately you had me inspire everybody <laughs> to at least a tie so anyway that was <laughs> i think that's that's great because I, i'm just i'm just marveled that you didn't have any any uh, i thought about some notes ahead of time of what to say that you just you you got up there and winged it or you had things in mind and as all these other seven speakers are going are going well he took my line there whoop he got my line there that's right that's a great story. That's a great story. So I got a couple of my most favorite things answered, and I apologize that it's so such a short interview. But, no, no, no. Right. But I'm selfish. I got my two, <laughs> I got my my two topics covered today. So well, you got your two. Okay. Well, I hope your listeners enjoy them. Oh, I'm sure they do. You know what? And so it's a big game today. So that's it's just one. You know, so it's a big game. Big game for the Irish. So, and I, and I wish we had time to talk about what's the matter with the Steelers, but we'll leave that for another day. That's for another day. <laughs> yeah, well, that's not the important thing. <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks, Rocky. I know you'll be watching today, hey. and we'll go Irish. Hey, yes. All right, go Irish. Thanks, guys. Thank Have you. Thanks, Have a good day. All right, bye. We'll be right back with Dr. Brian Radigan on Sports Radio 960 WSBT, streaming at WSBTradio.com or through the WSBT Radio. <laughs> All right, Brian, did you watch much TV when you're growing up? Do you know what that theme song is from? 
Oh, they just said it. Adam's family. Yeah, there it is. Let's do a uh, couple sponsors there. Yeah, it's uh, Legacy Heating and Air Game Day brought to you by Legacy Heating and Air, a Cook family business. Also by Pella Windows. Replacing your windows or doors can be intimidating, but Pella makes it easy. Hotel Elkhart. Welcome to an Elkhart original with hospitality reimagined. Your home on game day weekends. And by Lozier. Launch your career at Lozier. Apply today at life at lozier.com. The only guest on my 23 years with Game Day that has his own intro song. And I hope he knows how special he is. I tell him that, but I'm not sure how he is. That would be, oh my goodness gracious, and what did he was just referred to by Ned Bolkar said to say hi to the Rat Man. And that would be Dr. Brian Radigan. Hey, Doc. Ned was the best big brother I had couldn't beat him they assign you a big brother when you get to college right and ned bolcar was my big brother oh wow. good god well, how did i how did i miss all sure. these years about you being called the rat man all these years you know seven years i think we've been doing these interviews <laughs> nobody's ever told me that and ned, let that secret out oh yeah he was great ned was awesome a little bit nuts you gotta be careful he was wild he 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 is good he, he did tone. yeah he is really good he, he had so many stories whatever and I, I didn't want to interrupt him, so it kind of cut down on how much time for Rocky Blyer and how much time for you. But it's all good. It's all good. My, my first intro on Ned was when I came on my recruiting trip. So I, it was in December. All the guys are there in the weekend in December. Lou Holtz brings us all in. They are undefeated, getting ready to play in the national championship game. This is 1988. And I walk into that Loftus facility, the brand-new indoor facility, Loftus. And the three linebackers are out there hitting tackling dummies. They're stacking them up like Legos, <laughs> wiping out the tackling dummies 20 minutes before anybody else is there, like it's the most intense game they've ever been a part of. It was Bullcar, Frank Stams, Wes Pritchett. Stoney yep. was there, too, for all of those guys. Stonebreaker? What the hell are they doing? Wow. This place is nuts. Yeah. Well, they did. That's... They played like it, too. They were good. Isn't that about the deepest set of linebackers in Notre Dame's history, that they were all, all so good? Yeah. No, and I, honestly, we kept it going for a while. We had seven linebackers in my class come in. Oh, wow. The next year, one of them went right to O-line. Uh, another one went right to D-line. And the other guys kind of went to defensive end. A couple got kicked out for vandalism. <laughs> and they were bringing, <laughs> we had a different crew back then. <laughs> I, yeah, I bet. I, I do vaguely remember some of that uh, team trouble uh, that uh, got in. And uh, I don't think you wanted to get in trouble with Lou Holtz being the head coach either, did you? No, you were a short timer. If you did something like that, you were gone. Yeah, absolutely. You were gone. So, absolutely. Yeah, they weren't long for Notre Dame. They were good players, so. though. Um, okay, my man. What's going on in Syracuse right now? How was your? When did you get it, guys? Get in absolutely. yesterday. Yeah, we got in yesterday about five. Quick, easy flight. No problems. Brakes were working. Um, we we going to make that barometer after Ohio State. Make sure we got brakes. We uh, <laughs> now it's beautiful here. It's, I mean, it's going to be really nice. I wish it was outside. We were talking about how that, and I'm going to say it again, I'm just called the Carrier Dome because that's what I grew up with or whatever. I was talking um, yeah, about how I don't remember the team or coaches coming on the podium and addressing the fact they think it's going to be so hot in there, we better hydrate and stuff. Unless I'm missing something. I don't remember them saying that about, you know, uh, last, the Las Vegas game or even going down playing in, the, you know, uh, Jerry's t- uh, big center down there in, in Dallas, Texas. But 
What? What? I mean, obviously, it's that must really be a concern. It's never for, been an issue before. Yeah. So why? Why is it all of a yeah. sudden? I don't know. It must be new. Maybe because we're we're getting used to being in the cold, practicing in the cold. But maybe there's True. a sudden change. I don't know. I don't, they call it the wireless dome here now. The JMA wireless dome. Right. Which, but, unlike you, it's always the carrier dome. I don't know what this wireless dome is all about. It's all advertising stuff now. Hey, Brian, let me ask you something uh, technical on the sidelines or whatever. No matter, obviously, you're an orthopedic surgeon. Do you look at everybody that comes in, or are there more other doctors if it's something, you know, different, like they think it's a, I don't know, a spleen injury from a hard hit or something like that? Or are you the one that kind of looks into everything? No, 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 no. You stay in your lane. So Matt Leisler. Mm-hmm. is our sports med primary care doc. So, and he's, he's the most versatile doc on the squad. He, he got strep throat all the way to someone just hitting the belly and they think it might be a uh, splenic injury. Mm-hmm. He's doing that. He's, he's the one that's allowed to use a stethoscope. The orthopedic guys don't know what that is anymore. Right. You know, we don't <laughs> use those things. No, but he's, he's great. He's, he's invaluable. And the concussion testing, which mm-hmm. is probably more relevant than anything. He's the one that does all the head injury he, and he's, he's awesome. He's amazing. Notre Dame's lucky to have him. Well, I tell you, we're with uh, Dr. Brian Radigan, head uh, orthopedic physician for the Fighting Irish. I to- we always talk about it. I always tell my family that if I see you too much on TV, that's a bad thing. Just like people think as an insurance agent, if they see me too much, that's a bad thing. It's usually a claim or something. That's right. But uh, you've had a, a lot of traumatic injuries during games, um, and I think you were walking one of them. That's what I saw you walking one of them to the – um, off of there, all the all the away games and including at Notre Dame too. Everybody's got facilities or or equipment in the in the back area that you can take immediate uh, X rays or MR. I'm not probably not MRI, but X rays. Yeah, that's what we do before every game. We have a meeting with the other docs on away games, especially neutral sites. We have got to find the local docs there and just get a lay of the land. Where's the X ray machine? What's the process if we have to have a trauma? And you know. To fit fracture like Jared Gray's at, how are we setting up the ambulance? Where's the hospital? What are the numbers there? You get all that done ahead of time. So if it happens, you're ready to roll. You make the calls. You got to hit, you know, hit the road and go with them or not. Um, everybody has their own setup. Notre Dame has their setup. Other stadiums have their own setup. Some people have the extra right there. Some you have to, like Duke, you had to go all the way around to you know, two different buildings out of the stadium. It was quite a golf cart ride when. Let uh, Julian Aquara break his ankle. Mm-hmm. We shipped wow. him all the way around. I'm, I got the results of the X-ray. I'm already looking at the results, talking to his parents in the locker room at halftime, and he's not even back yet. Oh, <laughs> he's wow. On his way back on the golf cart, we've already discussed things. So oh. um, everybody's different. Yeah. Everybody's got their own thing. But yeah, we have to get all that set up. Gotcha. That's interesting. I'm sorry. I always want to ask you that kind of stuff. So I thought today would be the game. So we've got about a minute for you to tell you what you think about tonight's game. I, I think we're ready. I mean, I really, we've uh, we're a little gunshot with different games this year, right? We think we're ready and then we have a little slip up at Stanford didn't play like we're able to. So I'm always optimistic. I guess cautiously optimistic. I think the guys are going to play really well. Um, I still love our, just want to be more confident going in. Like it's going to be a blowout back in the day. You play Syracuse, you think that, but it's not the case anymore. They're a really good team now, as they showed last week. So I, I think we're going to win. I always feel like we're going to win by more than we do. So I think we're going to be okay. 
That's what we needed. We all needed that pep talk today. After you know, we're still not sure which team's going to show up, but I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm glad that's, you got a point. That's the idea, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah. They look good. I mean, they really do. The guys are ready. I, I hope they show up. They're going to show up, and it's never lack of effort. It's just, it's, you know, one yeah. thing we've ingrained in our heads: every game comes down to four or five plays. Right. Every single game. So yep. you know, Holt beat us up with that at one o'clock every Sunday. We'd watch the game film, and he'd pull out. You know, hey Ned. We don't miss that tackle. They don't score a touchdown. They have to settle for a field goal. That's a four-point swing. We, we win by seven, not three or four. It's just that's how we – everything came down to man. That one play did make a difference. The one guy missed a block that could have been a first down. We keep the drive going. He can green that, and that's how our team is right now. you just got to remember, everybody has to do their job on every single play. You can't let your buddies right. down. Right. If we do that, we'll be fine. All right, that's what we need. Sorry, Brian, we're up against a hard break, but thanks for taking the time. Yep, yep, Maybe at the Navy game, we can get you on back on and have a little longer. Sounds good. All, All right. right, guys, take care. Have a good day. We'll be right back. Legacy Heating and Air Game Day brought to you by Legacy Heating and Air, a Cook family business. Also by the Orthopedic and Sports Medicine Center, OSMC, providing orthopedic care to Michiana since 1973. And Imperial Furniture in Dowagic, where furniture shopping is fun. Next Saturday, we'll be back at the Eddie Street Commons across from Five Guys with Joe Theismann, Rudy Rudiger, Pat Steenberg, and Luther Bradley. For Jim Arisari, this is Tim Growl. Thank you for listening to the Heating Legacy Heating and Air Game Day show on your home for Fighting Irish Football, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 